for this morning comes to us from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Listen now for God's word to you. This is Paul speaking, and he says, Now it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has, already, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as extortion. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap buildings in a single bound, look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. amazing. <laughs> Superman, I told you all last week that he was my first favorite superhero. I, I shared that embarrassing photo of myself from the mid to, early, or mid to late 90s, dressed up as Superman for Halloween. Um, and every year on Valentine's Day when I was in grade school, those little Valentine's cards you hand out to your classmates always had Superman on them. I have these really fond memories of growing up, and every Friday night we would go and order pizza from this local place called Jake's, and we'd bring it home. We would have uh, open up a case of Dad's root beer. Remember Dad's root beer? Open up a case of that. We'd eat our pizza, drink our Dad's root beer, and we would watch Superman on TV. That was our Friday nights. That was like as close as I could get to a Norman Rockwell painting, to living in a Norman Rockwell painting. And I thought Superman was so cool. I, I especially liked his hair when he was in his Superman costume, like where it curls down in the front a little bit. And so like in second, third, fourth grade, somewhere in there, I, I had my mom go to the store to buy product, and she would help me style my hair in the morning to look just like Superman. And then later on, when I got into high school, my dad and I, we bonded over the show Smallville. It's this coming-of-age story of Superman, a Superman as he grows up in Smallville, Kansas. And, and high school is already an awkward, difficult time in people's lives, but it becomes even more difficult when you have these burgeoning superpowers and you are feeling so different from everybody else and you really want to try out for the football team, but your dad, Jonathan Kent, says, no, you, you can't, you're, you're way too powerful for all of that. But Superman, I think, is the hero that most of us recognize. He's kind of the archetype. He's the original superhero. Most of you know his backstory. He's this alien from the planet Krypton. Krypton is, is about to be destroyed, and his parents send him to Earth in a spaceship, and he lands in rural Kansas where he's raised by Jonathan and Martha Kent. He grows up as Clark Kent, and 
He goes on to be a reporter for the Daily Planet where he falls in love with Lois Lane. Um, how Lois Lane never figured out that Clark Kent and Superman were the same person, I'll never know. <clears throat> She's supposed to be this world-renowned journalist, right, known for seeing the details that no one else sees, and she can't see the one right in front of her face. And his powers are kind of unmatched, right? He has superhuman strength, speed, agility, and longevity. His, he can shoot lasers or heat vision from his eyes. He his wind is both ice, and, or his breath is both wind and ice. He can see through walls. And he does all of this because of Earth's yellow sun. It's what gives him his powers. He's essentially solar powered. I think our climate action now team would be super thrilled by that. He has one weakness, essentially, and it's this meteorite rock called kryptonite from his home planet. But not only is he incredibly powerful, Superman also has these values that are kind of unshakable. His moral compass always points north. But in recent years, Superman has sort of become displaced within the superhero genre that we've kind of come to expect, what we've kind of come to want from our superheroes is they have a really human quality to them. And how relatable is a superhero who can shoot lasers from his eyes, who can fly, who... He's not very relatable. We prefer Spider-Man, this very human kind of character who's always in this process of figuring out who he is. Or, for example, we like Batman. Batman, I think, has really become the superhero a lot of people gravitate towards. And this is no knock on Batman, but we like him because he's kind of brooding and dark and cynical. He kind of deals in the shadows and in the darkness. He's kind of become the archetype of what we want in a superhero these days, someone who reflects kind of the cynicism of the world that we live in and we exist in. But Superman, by contrast, is incredibly noble and good and idealistic. And so does Superman even matter anymore? People see him kind of just as the giant, overpowered Boy Scout in the sky. Is he relevant anymore? It's not just the people who consume comic books and superhero movies and TV shows who are wondering that question. It's also within the comic books themselves, wondering if Superman matters anymore. So within one of the the comics, there's this televised interview with Superman. It's being broadcast to schools across the country, and they're all watching this. And there's one particular classroom filled with high school students who are watching this interview take place, and they're not really paying attention. They're not really interested in what Superman has to say. And, And one of the students who's going through a particularly difficult time in his personal life, he, uh, he, he says that he would rather, he could essentially calls Superman a giant dork. And he would rather see one of the other members of the Justice League, the Justice League being this collection of superheroes that Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, people, these kind of recognizable names. He would rather see one of the other members of the Justice League who had just been kicked out for doing something wrong or doing something immoral. Does Superman matter anymore? We've been wondering that. So in response to this, what we've tried to do is we've tried to make Superman a little edgier, a little darker, someone who has a a kind of a a dark side to him. And in the most recent movie about him, which came out several years ago now, uh, Superman seems to kind of be uh, traumatized and tortured by his past as the last son of Krypton, burdened by his responsibility of being the last son of Krypton. We, we want him to, to be brooding and kind of cynical in the way that reflects our world. 
someone writing about him said that, that Superman seemed to be too idealistic for us, and so we grabbed him out of the sky and brought him back down to our level. But of course, none of this is what makes Superman Superman. And I'll, I'll admit that over the last few years, I've been kind of captivated by the superheroes who are really human and maybe dark and brooding. But, but one of the things that's been fun for me in this process of preparing for this sermon series is rediscovering my first favorite superhero. And one of the things about Superman is that he has a lot of nicknames he goes by, right? If he's Superman, he's, his Kryptonian name is Kal-El. He's known as the Man of Steel. He's the last son of Krypton. But there's one nickname, I think, that really distills down for us who Superman is. And he's called the Man of Tomorrow. The Man of Tomorrow. And he's called the Man of Tomorrow because Superman always believes that a better tomorrow is possible. He always believes that, that there's a better world that's possible. He always believes that human beings can be the best versions of themselves. He, he seems to always see the best and, and the good in other people. He, he believes that we can be the idealized version of ourselves. Whereas Batman, again, no knock on Batman if that's your favorite, whereas Batman fights in the shadows and in the dark, Superman does his deeds often in the daylight where everybody can see them. His, his superhero costume is bright so that everybody can see it. And Superman, like other superheroes, doesn't obscure his face with a mask. He actually obscures his alter ego, Clark Kent, with the glasses. And again, I wonder how in the heck that actually worked. But <laughs> he lets his face be seen. He lets us be this, this person that we trust. He inspires us to be the best versions of ourselves. He has us believing that, that a better world is possible, that we can be all that we idealize ourselves to be. In the comics, there's this whole storyline called The Death and Return of Superman. And as you can gather from that storyline, Superman dies and he returns. And, and how all that happens is actually way too complicated for me to try and explain here this morning. But in effect, Superman dies doing what Superman does, defending the world, saving the world. There's this alien monster who, whose name is Doomsday, which I think is a fitting name for an alien invader, who is every bit Superman's match when it comes to power. And Superman fights him for hours and hours until he finally defeats him, but, but he does so at a great cost. He ends up giving his life. And so um, he dies, there's a funeral, there's a memorial built, and the world sort of has to figure out how to move on without this superhero that, that always inspired hope, that inspired hope and possibility in people. And it's not just the ordinary, everyday citizens who have to figure this out. It's also the other members of the Justice League. They're not sure, these other superheroes are not sure how to move on without this hero who always inspire them to be their best selves. And so there's this, these panels in the comics where they're uncovering Superman's fan mail, and his fan mail is different than other celebrities would normally get, right? It, it's all of these people thanking Superman for the ways that he saved them, the ways that he made the world a better place, and it's also filled with these people who are making requests, asking requests, of Superman. And, and so as these members of the Justice League are uncovering all of this fan mail, they recognize the name of one of the women who wrote to Superman. And it was a woman with a young family whose house was destroyed while Superman was fighting Doomsday. And so what these superheroes decide to do is they decide they're going to rebuild this woman's house. And so you have these, these panels in the comics of these superheroes in these 
costumes and using their superpowers to, to put up walls and to install windows to put a roof on the house. And, and one of them, in effect, says that superheroes can do more than fight crime. They can build a better world. That's who Superman is, someone who is always inspiring us to be the best versions of ourselves. You know that, that S that Superman wears, that iconic S on his chest? For a long time, we've just always thought it was an S that stood for Superman. Well, in one of the comics in the early 2000s, Superman, Clark Kent is learning about his Kryptonian origins, and he has these pictures and videos and, and things from life on Krypton, and, and he sees the S everywhere, and he at first thinks it's a family crest or a seal, but he soon finds out that Kryptonians had been wearing that S for thousands of years as a symbol of hope, as a symbol of people who are willing to fight and work for a better world. That's who Superman is, somebody who inspires us to be our best selves, who believes that we can be the best selves that we imagine ourselves to be. Superman seems to, to believe that we can be that, even when we ourselves have a hard time believing it, that we can be the sort of people we imagine ourselves to be, that we can live fully into that identity as beloved children of God. There is that divine spark that resides in each and every one of us, and we can fully live into that identity. We can fulfill our sacred calling to build a better tomorrow, to build a better world. Superman, always inspiring us to be our best self. And that is exactly what we find the Apostle Paul doing in this second letter to the Corinthians here this morning. That this is, Paul is in the middle of his own sort of stewardship campaign. Um, he's writing a sort of stewardship letter to the church in Corinth. You know the stewardship letters like the ones you all have hopefully received? <laughs> yes. But this stewardship letter is a little bit different because Paul is not asking for the things that we normally associate with with stewardship with money for the budget or for the pastor's salary or, to, or a capital campaign for the building or anything like that. But what Paul is doing is he is asking for money to assist the church in Jerusalem, the original church, the one that started the whole movement. We, can, we could trace ourselves all the way back, take a long time, all the way back to the church in Jerusalem. But they have fallen on hard times. There's illnesses, there's persecutions, and so Paul is in the midst of collecting money for them. He is contacting the churches he's associated with for generosity, to assist the, the Christians in Jerusalem. And so he writes to the Corinthian congregation. Paul was their, their founding pastor. He knows that congregation well. He, he knows that they're a congregation that has incredible wealth and resources at their disposal. Corinth was a, a fairly wealthy city, and there were some wealthy, prominent members of that city that were participants in the church in Corinth. And that's not to say that there were people who were struggling, who were poor in, in the Corinthian church. That's actually one of the, the big conflicts in his first letter to them, that the poor and the rich were not getting along very well. There was some serious class conflict, and often it, it happened around the communion table. But if anyone could help, if there was a congregation that Paul was associated with that could help, it was the Corinthians. But as Paul writes to them, there's an indication that they are struggling with generosity. 
And all of this comes in contrast to some of the other churches that Paul mentions. He mentions it here, the the Macedonians. So these are are churches in the city of Philippi and Thessalonica, both of whom have have letters written to them in the New Testament. And they themselves are going through a difficult time of poverty and persecution. And and Paul says earlier in the letter, he wasn't even going to ask the Macedonian Christians to participate in this offering because he knew how difficult their lives were at that moment. But the Macedonian Christians found out what Paul was doing, and they, it says, begged Paul to participate in what he was doing. Imagine that, a church sitting around looking at the budget, not sure how they're going to keep the lights on, not sure how they're going to pay the pastor that month, and, and they still want to participate in this act of generosity to the church in Jerusalem. The Corinthians, though, are struggling, struggling with generosity. Paul knows that this congregation imagines itself, wants itself to be a a congregation that lives with a sense of generosity, with open hands towards those who are in need. Perhaps the Corinthian church had had their own little visioning summit, talked about all of the ways they imagined themselves being. Who, Who would they be in five years? And the conversations around how they would overcome those sorts of class conflicts, how the communion table would not be a place of division, but a place of unity, and how they would be a church that lived with generosity. That was the the best version of themselves that they could imagine. That was the idealized idea of who they could be. And yet when Paul comes and asks, they're struggling. They're not able to to meet the, the request that Paul is making. There's a There's an indication that that they've tried to do this little offering, but the money that they gave was far less than they could have actually given. You know those churches where they pass the offering plate until they get the amount they want? (laughs) They're struggling here to to do the things that they imagine themselves to be, how they idealize themselves to be. And so what happens in this moment is there is a gap that is revealed between who they believe themselves to be and who they actually are. Now, before we're too hard on the Corinthians, we all live with a gap somewhere between who we idealize and imagine ourselves to be and who we are in reality. I can find numerous gaps in my own life, especially as a parent, that before my son Axel was born three and a half years ago, I used to say sanctimonious things like, my son will never have his own iPad to watch shows on. Guess what Axel has? Sometimes Heather and I just need a break. (laughs) And last year, I participated in this educational offering from the Synod all around what's called the Intercultural Development Index. It's this test, this survey you can take that that measures how interculturally sensitive you are, how open-minded you are to other cultures and people and ideas, and, and how the test normally works is that you take the test, and what's revealed is that you often imagine yourself to be more interculturally sensitive and open-minded than you actually are. This gap between who you imagine yourself to be and who you are in reality. For the Corinthians, the gap that opens up is this gap between how they imagine themselves as being a generous congregation and who they are in reality, a congregation that is struggling to to loosen the purse strings, to let the budget flow with, with a sense of generosity. But Paul, to his credit, 
doesn't shame the Corinthians for this. He seeks to inspire them. He says to them, I know that you want to be a generous congregation. I know that this is who you desire to be, that this is the best version of yourself. This is who you imagine you can be as a congregation, and you can still be that congregation if you work to close that gap between who you imagine yourself to be and who you are in reality. Paul seems to believe it about the Corinthians, even when they themselves are struggling to believe it, even when their actions don't always align with who they believe themselves to be. You know, as a a congregation, we just are a couple of weeks removed from our visioning summit. And our visioning summit was this amazing chance for us to use our imaginations about who we, uh, who the best version of Greenfield would be five and ten years from now. We did this really fun exercise where we imagined that Greenfield had made it on the cover of a national magazine. And we asked the question, what is it that we got on that national magazine for? And it was filled with big and amazing ideas. We got on the cover of that magazine because the the church was filled with a diversity of people. We we got on that cover for that magazine because we uh, reinterpreted Christianity for a new world. Imagine that. It's a big thing. We got on the cover because we were on the cutting edge of technology for churches. We got on that cover because we were a place of belonging and welcome for young families. We got on that cover because we were a church that addresses some of the structural and systemic issues that need healing in our world. It was this beautiful moment of idealism, spirit-inspired idealism and imagination. But there is always a gap somewhere between who we imagine ourselves to be and who we are in reality, between where we are and where we're going. And that gap, as that gap opens up, it reveals to us the work that we need to do, how we need to get there, and it requires all of us. You know, it doesn't happen magically and overnight. It's not going to fall from heaven. Superman, with all of his powers and his abilities, cannot make a better tomorrow all on his own. He can save people from burning buildings or people who are falling from a great height and fight off alien invaders. But that better world, that new world. It only emerges as ordinary people take it on themselves to work to build that better world, to close the gap between where we are in the moments and where we seek to go. Superman is always inspiring us to be the sort of people we imagine ourselves to be. He seems to believe it about ourselves. I know he's a fictional character, but let's imagine. He seems to believe it even when we ourselves might have a hard time believing it. That we can indeed be the congregation we imagine ourselves to be. We idealize ourselves to be. We we can be a congregation that's on the cutting edge of technology. We can be a congregation that is filled with with a place of belonging for young families. We, We can be a congregation that addresses some of the systemic and structural issues in our world. But it takes all of us working together to make that happen. Because Superman was never about all of his great superhuman abilities. It was never about his icy breath or his laser eyes or his ability to see through walls. It was always about ordinary people realizing that they too had power, that they had superpowers, that they could build the world that's the best version of itself, that they could be the best versions of themselves as individuals, that society could be the best version of itself. The church that we all know and love 
that we imagine a better, a different future for, a new future for, that it can be that best version of itself. But it takes all of us committing ourselves, our time, our resources, our energy, our imaginations. We can build the congregation we imagine, but it takes each and every one of us inspired to build it, inspired to close that gap between who we are in this moment and who we imagine ourselves to be. Thanks be to God. Amen.